World's Finest Podcast, Episode 48. James Doe, and with me as always is Michael David Sims. Hello, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Erin will be here in about oh, 48 hours or so, and I'll be taking a week off from work to spend time with her, and life is good. Oh, you're actually taking the whole week off. That's cool. Yep. It's my spring break from school, and I'm just taking the week off from work. Oh, excellent. That's, that's great timing, then. When she planned the trip, because of course she did it as a surprise, did she know that was your spring break period, or did it just line up that way? Uh, she pretty much did just plan it around what... Uh, my spring break, I, I, I guess. Crafty. Very crafty. Them women folks, they're, they're always scheming. They always got something going on. <laughs> <laughs> she is a schemer. That is one of my little nicknames for her. <laughs> uh, well, you know, like, that's a good thing. That, that can be a good mm-hmm. thing. So, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, it, it wound up getting you to see her months before you thought you were going to be able to. So, of course, that's a good thing. So, yeah, that's pretty much my story right now. That's cool. That's cool. I'm happy for you guys. I think it's great. I mean, it's really thanks to WFP that I was even able to meet her in the first place. That's what I was just going to say, you know. You know, down the line, if this blossoms into something more... You'll get a wedding invite. There you I, go. I don't know. I don't know. I'm expecting a little more than that. I don't know. We'll, we'll, I'll figure out my price eventually. <laughs> okay, now I'm confused. <laughs> and I don't know what to think. I'm a schemer too. <laughs> yeah, you're a different kind of schemer, and it's. Uh... I'm just evil. <laughs> yeah, see all the giggling I do on the show? It's really just like maniacal laughter, just coming out, really. <laughs> yeah, you are a mustache twirler, aren't you? I do have a beard. Yeah, if I just grew my mustache a little longer, I would twirl it. Trust me, I would. <laughs> we'll just call you the weather wizard. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Read the emails. Okay, first one today is from Ava, who writes, Hi guys, I discovered this podcast on iTunes last week, and I just want to say that you guys are doing an awesome job with your show. Thank you. I love it so much that I've been uh, pretty much listening to it nonstop. Your most recent episode was brilliant, especially with the whole out-of-the-past Raish Talia thing. (laughs) That definitely made my day. Speaking of which, I do think that Bruce and Raish having a nice romp in the bedroom would probably be gay only for Raish. Mm. Probably. Keep up the great work. I should say we got a lot of responses email wise in regards to the is it gay or not thing. So if we don't read your email on the air and your email was solely about that, just know that it was received. <laughs> and I just I just didn't want to have them all read on the air because a lot of them did fall in line with Ava's just you know, it's not gay for Bruce because he thought it was Talia, but for Raish it is because he knew what he was doing. You know, he sees himself as a guy, even though he's in a female body, so that means that's the way it is. And also, in regards to the poll at the forums, because, of course, we said we'd start one, if I remember correctly, overwhelmingly, it went to um, not gay because it's Talia's body. It was basically the same as this email. Exactly. The general consensus was saying it was gay for Raish, but not for Bruce. Right. Yeah, I really should have put more options on there, because it was... Yes, it's gay because it's Raish, 
And no, it's not because that's Talia's body. I should have had more options on there, such as it is, straight up it is, or it isn't for Bruce, but it is for Rage, or it is for both. You know, I should have had more options like that. I'm really just thinking back to our review of that. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. Anyway, next email uh, is from Steve, who writes, Hey, guys, finally caught up all the way with every episode of WFP. I can't wait for the return of the Joker episode. Neither can I. (laughs) Just wait two more weeks. Two more weeks, people. Uh, I, I'm chomping at the bit. And and uh, think, just to annoy everyone, after Static and Zeta, you should do Teen Titans before Justice League and JLU. And it kind of makes logical sense since JLU does end with a nice crescendo for the DCAU. Mm-hmm. Um, just so you know, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing Teen Titans between the two Justice League cartoons. Uh, so we'll do Justice League. Teen Titans, and then Justice League Unlimited. Okay, next one is from Sean, who writes, James and Mike, in your latest and greatest episode, you commented that Kevin Conroy has a great singing voice. A superstitious and cowardly lot. (laughs) As it turns out, he was, and probably still is, a very successful Broadway performer during his stint on Batman. I learned this when I recently purchased and read the book Batman Animated by Paul Dini and Chip Kidd, in which they do discuss a lot of the backstage mindset in the making of this show. And incidentally, little tidbits about the cast and crew that fill in some questions people may have uh, or clue fans in on the little in-jokes throughout the series. It seems now, after reading that book, that Batman the Musical is almost, in some way, a fun, lighthearted tribute to Kevin Conroy's contributions to the show and maybe an homage to his roots as a Broadway performer. But this is an absolutely gorgeous book filled with procedural and uh, conceptual artwork that was fully intended to stay locked up at Warner Brothers. I highly recommend it to any BTAS fans almost as much as I recommend your podcast to any DCAU fan. If you're watching the DCAU without World's Finest, you're only getting half the experience. Aw, thank you. That's, that's, well, that's a great compliment. Thank you. Um, I can't wait for you guys to do Justice League, especially Season 2. That's it for me. You guys are awesome as always. Sean, thank you very much. Next one is from Marcellus, who writes, Hey, WFP, I was just writing in to say that I actually love the word shway. No. I say it. I say it all the time thanks to Batman Beyond. I noticed your reservations about the word in the last episode, but hey, to each their own. Also, I think that Christina Ricci would uh, be a decent Harley Quinn in the Nolanverse. What's your take on that? Okay, I love Christina Ricci. And I mean, I love Christina Ricci. Oh, God, she was the first actress I had, like, a mega crush on when Mm -hmm. I was younger. My first one was Drew Barrymore, but, you know, Drew Barrymore I liked ever since I was a kid. You know what I'm saying? So I had kind of like a childhood crush on her. But as I started getting into, you know, heading into my teenage years, like right before then, really, and I saw Christina Ricci in like the Adams Family, that was the point where I really started getting tingly in that sort of weird kind of way. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I think seeing her in the Adams Family really did inform my um, attraction for kind of goth, dark girls. So yes, yes, I love Christina Ricci. But seeing her play Harley Quinn, I I don't think so. I think she's a little too old and a little too... And that's, you know, I think she's only like 27, so that sounds weird to say. I really feel she should be like 24-ish, and she should look as if she is very naive to the world. Even though she was sleeping her way through school, she should still have a a slight naive look to her. And Christina Ricci doesn't have that. She very much has a I've lived life kind of look to her. 
But yeah, we were discussing this in the episode 47 feedback thread. There were some really good suggestions in there. I do recommend people go over to the earth2.net forums, go down to the world's finest podcast section and uh, go into the episode 47 feedback thread and put in your two cents because we, like I said, we got some good ones and I'd like to keep that discussion going. I really would because, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't see Nolan ever doing Harley Quinn, but if they continue the films beyond him, eventually they'll get to her. So I would like to see what people have to say and then see if the producers ever actually use anybody that we suggested. I, not, not as if they're reading our forums, but you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like the uh, Allison Lohman and Alice, uh, Allison Hannigan suggestions. Mm. <laughs> Speaking of celebrity crushes. <laughs> anyway, uh, next one is from Aaron Parent, who writes, While I love listening to the show, I want to say how sad I am that they didn't bring certain heroes back to Batman Beyond. I was sad that they didn't bring back uh, Dick Grayson to the show, even as someone other than Bruce to mentor Terry, or like he did with Tim on Gotham Knights, ask him why he's falling into the same trap he was for the longest time as Robin and later Nightwing. I would also have liked to have seen Batgirl Beyond. Okay. Um, before I get <laughs> yeah, flamed yeah. by the fans on the forum and by Mike, I'm not talking about Max. Ugh. No, thank God. I, want, I wanted to see maybe Dick slash Tim slash Barbara's uh, daughter being Terry's sidekick slash girlfriend. Dana was a useless person through the whole show. Better yet, bring in Melanie to be Batgirl Beyond. She's already in love with Terry. She could have found out during King's Ransom and decided to fight alongside him, much like Babs and Bruce did, near the end of Bruce's tenure in the cowl. They've already had a female Robin. Why not Melanie? Slash 10 to be Batgirl Beyond. We all know she can handle herself in a fight. She'd be perfect. What do you think? I like that idea. You know, when, of course, when you started reading that email, James, I did cringe when I heard the phrase Batgirl Beyond. But by the end of it, mentioning Melanie, Mm -hmm. yeah, she's already got the skill. She's uh, tech savvy because she's the one that did all their computer and breaking and entering work, if I remember correctly. Hmm, that, that does seem like a slight missed opportunity. And then... You know, Bruce could always, like, have this, slight chip on his shoulder about her. He doesn't quite trust her. Is she a spy for the gang? Because he's got that long history with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. Interesting idea. It does present some intriguing possibilities. Next one is from Thomas writes, Hi, guys. I was watching the double episode The Call a few days ago to prepare for your review on WFP because I've never seen it before. I've had the set for a while but never got around to the episodes, and I knew that Shooter McGavin was the voice for Superman, but it really threw me off when I first heard him talk as Superman. So my question is, why was it not Tim Daly? Also, why did Tim not voice Superman in the Justice League shows? Did he and the producers have a falling out? Not that I have anything against uh, George Newbern. I think he did a stand-up job as the Man of Steel also. P.S. Can't wait to hear the Teen Titans reviews. Because I'm a Star Trek fan where the continuity uh, is sketchy at the best of times, I have no issue with the Teen Titans in continuity. <laughs> That's a great uh, argument for it being in continuity. Now, what about the Superman thing? Because I can't address that. What, do you know anything about this? Well, I believe Christopher McDonald did the voice of Superman in The Call, which we'll get to shortly. Um, but um, the reason Tim Daly wasn't uh, chosen for The Call was because they wanted Bruce Tim wanted... Uh, Superman of the future to have a more gravelly voice, and that was that was pretty much what it boiled down to. Um, and Tim D- Tim Daly didn't do the voice of Superman on Justice League because he had other commitments at the time. But I I like George Newbern as the voice of Superman too. I I I kind of have I like you know Daly and uh, Newbern equally. Really, I don't have I don't prefer one to the other. So the kid got on TV and told the whole world how he saw you without your mask. Yep. And the old man, he saw the report? 
How could he not? It was the news bite of the day. What were you thinking? He would have died. There was no other way. There's always another way. I don't see what you're so worried about. He's probably forgotten what I look like by now. That doesn't matter. What matters is that other people think he knows what you look like. You've made that little boy a target. First up today is Unmasked. Um, in this one, it starts off at the school. Terry arrives late to, uh, I guess, some kind of pep rally or something that Max is organizing. And he finds out that Max made a wise crack about how the kids at school see more of Batman than him, which uh, infuriates Terry because he doesn't want anyone to find out his secret. Well, Max doesn't see what the big deal is, saying that if Dana knew, they'd be able to actually have a relationship. Um, but Terry then tells Max a story about an event that supposedly occurred just after he became Batman. Now, uh, as an aside, I'll explain in a few minutes why this is utterly impossible, but getting back to the story at hand here, um, Terry was stopping... Uh, Cobra from robbing a Federal Reserve Bank, and while he was chasing after them, they fired some rockets that the Batmobile dodged, but ended up hitting a building where this little kid was uh, standing on the roof playing with his like Soldier Sam action figure, I think it was what it was called. And the building just instantly goes up in a blaze, and Batman has to you know stop chasing after them and go save the kid. But when he gets there, the kid is just scared half to death. He he doesn't want any part of, of Batman because he's just really scary. I mean, he's only like eight years old or something. And, uh, so finally, to, to convince the kid that he's that you know he's just a normal guy, he takes his mask off to show that he's you know he's just a, a human being. The kid is appeased, and Terry ends up saving him just barely. Well, at uh, Cobra headquarters, the leader there wants to know how Batman could have known uh, their robbery plans before they were even there. So he puts this uh, device on one of the goons, which unscrambles his thoughts and displays them on a monitor. Apparently, the guy alerted his brother who worked at the bank about Cobra's plan, which Batman was able to trace since it was just over a cell phone. Um, so the Cobra leader throws a guy into a snake pit for his betrayal. Uh, he then watches, the leader watches this news report with uh, the kid Miguel saying that Batman's just a normal guy underneath the costume and so on and so forth. And the guy smiles because he's going to use Miguel to get to Batman. Now, obviously, Bruce was not happy at all with Terry removing the mask, uh, Bruce said that because the kid has been seen by the masses on the news and he knows what Batman looks like, he's now a target. So Terry ends up trailing the kid all over the place, and he actually ends up saving him from a trio of Cobra agents. Um, well, the police arrive and escort uh, the kid away, but uh, and Terry relays this news to Bruce, who, says, uh, who actually says that he never contacted uh, Barbara, which means Terry just handed the kid over to the Cobra agents in disguise. Well, Terry traces the stolen police cars to their hideout, but in the meantime, the Cobra leader uh, has placed the device on Miguel's head, and he ascertains, uh, you know, you know what he thinks is Batman's real face. Well, Batman in, come, uh, you know, gets there and subdues all the Cobra agents, uh, including the leader, but the guy laughs, uh, saying that he's uploaded uh, Batman's face to every Cobra computer in the world, so all of them are going to know what he looks like. Well, the police arrive, and the guy... Uh, the leader guy claims that you know he's done well and he'll be remembered, and he takes his own life by leaping into the snake pit. <laughs> yeah. Um, Batman looks at the computer screen, aghast at first, but then he sees that Miguel superimposed Soldier Sam's head onto Batman's body, and so he's he's you know pretty much he's safe, uh, and that ends the story. Uh, and as Terry and Max walk past a soccer field, uh, a soccer ball rolls towards them, and Terry hands the ball to none other than Miguel, who uh, 
as as uh, he and Max walk away, Miguel looks back and with this look, you know, that says that he knows that he's Batman, but he's not going to say anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because what happens is we should say. Uh, Max is like, well, how do you know he's not going to remember your real face down the line? And Terry says, oh, that's him right there, and I see him all the time, and he never says anything to me. And that's when the kid kind of smiles slyly, like, ah, ha, ha, I do know. So, thoughts. Well, do you want to get into what you were saying about how this couldn't have happened in... Oh, yeah. Um, is, is, were you going to mention it here, or does it have to do with a later episode, or... No, it's it's this. I mean, it's really boils down to this. Terry first became aware of Cobra's existence in the episode Plague. Now, the main Cobra guy in this episode was the same one as the one in Plague. It was the same voice actor, everything. Um, and that was, again, that was the first episode where we saw Cobra. In this episode, the dude takes his own life by jumping into a snake pit. Mm. Now, the events of Plague were in the second season, which is very obviously not, you know, quote-unquote, right after Terry became Batman. Yeah. So this this adventure couldn't possibly have happened right after he became Batman. That's pretty big inconsistency there well also consider that in curse of cobra this guy pops up again unless all of the cobra guys in the brown suit have to have that really weird little chin strap goatee thing you're not chin strap but you know what i mean that little rectangle coming down their chin because he's there in the background again and i'm like what's going on what's with this dude he killed himself how is he popping up all the time I want to. St- I'm going to check really quickly to see if that was the same voice actor in Curse of Cobra. Well, he, I, I don't even think he even really had a line in Curse of Cobra. Oh, I think right. I think he mumbled something and that was it. But again, same look, same suit, and the 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 facial hair was the same design. Well, regardless, in in Plague and in Unmask, it's the same voice actor. It's definitely the same guy. There's okay. no question about it. So you were asking what my thoughts were about this one. Yeah, I was kind of whole hum about this one. I mean, it's not a bad episode mm-hmm. at all. It was just sort of. A little underwhelming. You know, I was hoping for uh, just a little more with this one. Just a little more excitement. I didn't want to be blown away. I didn't want a perfect 10. But, you know, with a story like this, I thought they could have got a little more complex, a little deeper with it. Really gone the extra mile with the whole point that anybody that knows me can be hurt kind of... uh, Thing that all superheroes have if they ever reveal their secret identity, right? But but they they really didn't go that extra step, and I think that extra step would have been Terry looking at Max and being like, "See, this is the danger you're in." But they never did that. He's telling the story about how Miguel was in danger, and then they, he never hammers home like, "Oh, by the way, you're in danger too." It just felt like it was sort of missing something. You know, I could watch this one again. Like if it was on TV, I wouldn't turn it off. I don't want people to think I'm I'm just you know slamming it. I'm not. It's just. I don't know. It it just wasn't boring. It wasn't great. It wasn't bad. It it was what it was. It was a simple little story that I felt could have been deeper. And I don't even know if I could buy a kid like Miguel keeping Batman's face a secret. He actually, I mean, he seemed like a kid who would just run and tell everyone he could. I mean, look, he was on the news and he said, oh, he's just a normal guy like (laughs) all of us. So that, really, I don't buy this kid this particular kid keeping that a secret. Well, at the same time, though, what's he going to say? A young, unassuming light bulb. But I mean, you got we got to mention that dude committed suicide right on camera. Yeah. And that I mean, I do appreciate this episode because it took that kind of risk. I mean, and in the first place, the guy a guy was killed mm-hmm. too. The same this the guy who t- took his own life killed a guy earlier. So that's really all the notes I have for this episode. Besides, my big one was of course the whole inconsistency there. But 
Yeah, this is a pretty linear episode. I have, even though it's being told in flashback. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still very linear. Yeah, and speaking of the the kind of framing sequences, oh, they were terrible. That was really the only part of this episode where I could downright say terrible because Terry's trying to tell Max this story about something that really kind of shaped him into the hero that he is today and why he tries to be protective of his secret identity and of his friends and loved ones. And she just keeps trying to interrupt him in typical douchey Max way, not caring about what this guy has to say. She's like, okay, that's good. Let's go tell Dana. Oh, your story isn't over? Okay, I'll continue to listen. Why are you surprised? (laughs) I know. I shouldn't be. I shouldn't be surprised that Max is being written as an annoying character. Um... And we'll get into more of Max stuff later on, specifically during uh, the... What's the next one? It's The next one's the Cobra one, right? Yeah. There's some Mm -hmm. stuff she does in there to... uh, Oh, shoot. I just forgot the guy's name. Xander, Xander. right? Yeah. Yeah. Where she's just being completely rude to him for no reason. And I mean before he kidnaps her. You know, obviously then she has the right to be uh, rude to him. But there's some stuff she does at the arcade where it's like, why are you doing that? Why why do you have friends? My DNA was synthesized in a laboratory 50 meters from here. My first nine months were spent in an artificial womb. All the nutrients I received were carefully monitored and purified. From early childhood, I had nearly round-the-clock tutoring. I was trained in a multitude of military strategies, as well as martial arts and advanced weaponry. Everything Cobra did for me had one goal, to make me their perfect leader. Next up is the two-part, The Curse of Cobra. In this one, what's going on is that Cobra has gone out and they've stolen some super-secret isotope. No, they actually went out and stole a bomb, didn't they? It was Yeah, it was a, like a megaton bomb or something. Didn't they steal an isotope too, or did I just completely make that up? No, I think it was just a bomb that would heat... I mean, they're just going to drop into the volcano. Okay, that's right. Yeah, okay. So, anyways, they steal a bomb, not an isotope. And later on, what they also steal is some, like, dinosaur DNA or lizard DNA or something. And Bruce and Terry, they're trying to figure out what the connection is. They they don't know what the deal is with that. Well, in the meantime, Terry kind of gets his ass handed to him by Cobra and he realizes that he needs to brush up on his martial arts skills. So Bruce sends Terry off to go train with someone that he himself had trained with a long, long time ago. While he's there, Terry meets this very intense fellow uh, who you know is bad because he has the evil eyeliner thing going on by the name of Xander. Well, uh, Xander is very clearly at the head of the class. He's getting to the point where the teacher, she doesn't have much left to train him in. He's about to su- to surpass the master, so to speak. Um, well, Terry has a brief run-in with this guy and this guy's handlers. It turns out he has some guys looking after him, and Terry's trying to figure out what that's about. And it takes him a while to learn that uh, Xander is, is special in some way. And we'll get into that in a little second. Well, Terry, you know, he does try to befriend Xander, and, uh, you know, he's like, yeah, man, I could go for a slice of pizza right now. And Xander's like, what the hell is pizza? And Terry's like, how could you not know what pizza is? All kids know what pizza is. It's it's greasy and cheesy and oozy and good. And now I really want some pizza. Damn. Yeah, I do too. Oh, man. 
I think I'm gonna have to pause this and go get some pizza. Um, <laughs> anyways, yep. all right. Forty five <laughs> minutes later. <laughs> um, so he takes Xander out to the local arcade to, uh, you know, let him see how normal kids live. And while he's there, they bump into Max, and uh, Terry's like, Max, why don't you show Xander some video games while I go get this pizza? Man, I really want some fucking pizza. And uh, what do you call So uh, Max and Xander, they start playing some video games, and uh, Max actually beats Xander, and she gloats. She just dances and is a complete uh, sore winner, so to speak, you know. Uh, that's not quite the right phrase I'm looking for, but you know what I mean. An ungrateful, bad, no. bad winner. A bad winner. Yeah, yeah. There we go. And uh, Xander's like, I never lose. How can this be? And she's like, Well, everybody loses from time to time, buddy. So just deal with it. Well, Terry shows up with the pizza, and Xander's sort of looking at it. Max then takes the pizza, and this is what I was referring to a few minutes ago when we were talking about unmasked. And she shoves it into Xander's mouth. She makes him gag on the pizza. And it's like, I I don't understand this character in the slightest. Well, uh, some jokers show up. They start teasing all three of them. Uh, Pizzas get thrown around, and all three of them end up kicking the crap out of the jokers. And Xander's um, handlers show back up. They get mad at Terry. They get mad at Xander, and they take Xander away. Terry goes back to the dojo, and it turns out Xander is no longer going to be staying there uh, because his handlers believe that uh the uh the 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 master what was her name was it it was like Kari or something like that Kyrie Kyrie that's it okay uh they believe that she didn't have Xander's best interest in mind and that's when we learn that she says you know basically there's not much more he could learn from me anyways but after that we find out what is the deal with Xander he is destined to become cobra commander Serpentor, whatever you want to call him, because <laughs> he surely dresses like a half-nude Serpentor, Serpentor later on, leader of the Cobra gang, terrorist cell, whatever you want to call them. That's what he is. Um, and their ultimate plan is to turn people, the reason they took the, the DNA is so they could turn people, or select people, we'll say, into sort of human lizard hybrid things they're then going to take the bomb and they're going to drop it into a a volcano uh this one specific volcano because it has uh, a a fissure or whatever that goes like halfway to the earth's core and they're hoping that the bomb will send it the rest of the way which will then overheat the planet which is bad for mammals but is good for these lizard people things so they're trying to destroy the human race but we don't find that out for a little later. I am getting ahead of myself. Uh, the way the first episode ends, though, is uh, Xander has taken a shining to Max. And uh, he decides to kidnap her. He wants to get laid, so he says, Max, you're coming with me, whether you like it or not. So that's sort of how that one ends. And then the second episode is really just all about Terry trying to save Max. Uh, we find out what the plan is, which, of course, I've already outlined. Uh, Kyrie shows up doing her thing. Uh, Xander turns himself into a lizard man. Uh, Kyrie and lizard man Xander have a final fight. They both perish. Max and Batman are able to escape. And then Max, Terry, and Bruce sort of mourn Kyrie at the end. I hate to shortchange the, the summary of the second episode, but that's all it really is. It's oh just my Terry God. running around saving Max and a lot of exposition. Oh, and I guess it should be said that we get Xander's backstory. Um, which I won't go into because I'm going to use it for the bumper for this episode. So you'll get it there. 
But yeah, so what were you oh my godding a second ago? Yeah, this episode degenerated something hardcore. Very quickly, yeah. My god. Um, the first episode was, I thought it was done pretty nicely overall. It was grounded, you know, it was a, a humanistic plot, you know, that revolved around Terry and, and, and Max and Xander and, and not Batman. It wasn't a Batman story. Right. In part two, you have dinosaur people, a giant bomb being, trying to be dropped into a volcano, uh, like this, a, a bizarre marriage attempt. And then Xander turns himself into a giant dinosaur. And they kept, they just, and they kept saying that Xander was being groomed to be the leader of Cobra. But really, all they really showed was the martial arts training. Mm. And they didn't really explain how he knew all this DNA, all this genetics shit and everything. Right. I mean, it, this this episode it became a bat, just a Batman episode, and not a very good one. No, in fact, a very bad one at that. I agree with you. That first episode, you know, not great, but a solid episode for what they were going for. And then, yeah, he kidnaps Max, and it just is like, what the hell is going on? And, you know, I I should say, though, in regards to the kidnapping Max thing, I liked his reasoning for kidnapping her, because he was tired of having women just completely fawn over him, because he was the leader of this terrorist cell, because they feared him, because they thought they had to. And he wanted someone that he could make love him, someone who was going to question him in some way. I like that, but then five minutes of, of Max's bitching, and he's like, splicer, you know? <laughs> Here's something I think they dropped the ball on. This is a big plot hole I'm going to bring up, okay? When Xander gives his backstory, it's all, I'm genetically created, I've been raised in this facility, I don't know any other life, you know, and we hear from one of his doctor, one of the scientist doctor guys, one of his handlers. Oh, we've anticipated everything you need, all this and that. Basically saying that all of his training and learning has been self-contained in this ship that is posing as a toxic waste facility, correct? Yes. Then why was he sent to Kyrie's dojo? Think about that. If if everything they were doing was so insular, if they were so afraid that he was going to be corrupted by the outside world, why did they send him into the world? Why didn't they bring a ninja master? Why didn't they abduct Kyrie or someone else and bring that person to Xander? It's a huge plot hole that we're just supposed to completely ignore. It's one of the biggest convenient for the plots ever. Because if he didn't go out into the world, he couldn't meet Terry. He couldn't meet Max. And this couldn't have been a two-part episode. I can tell you how they could have done this as one episode. I hate to play armchair writer, but I'm gonna. They could have had it where someone kidnapped Kyrie. Bruce finds out because it's his old friend, and he sends Terry to investigate. Boom. You got one episode. You could lose all the Max bullshit. You could lose uh, the Lizard Man bullshit. And you could lose the, the Volcano Bomb bullshit. And it's, it's just a simple story about Terry trying to rescue one of Bruce's old pals. And it turns out she doesn't really need rescuing because she can kick ass on her own. And then so she saves Terry's ass at the end of the day. Again, not a great plot, but good enough, and it wouldn't have had to have been two flipping parts, especially with the back half being so bad. Mm-hmm. As far as Kyrie goes, I I appreciate that they brought back you know a lesser known character that instead of you know God forbid Riddler or somebody Riddler Beyond. Um, We've so, seen Kyrie before. Day of the Samurai. Who the hell was she? She was the young girl. 
who trained under Yoru Sensei. Oh, was that her? Yeah. Oh. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I mean, like, so I'm glad they they brought back a character from way back in in the BTAS days that you might have you know might have forgotten about or something. <laughs> Apparently, of, someone did forget about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was trying to figure out how I should word that since you're you know, you're going to jump. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, and she has a connection to Bruce's past, and and she's not like one of the rogues gallery from the BTAS days. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, it's somebody who can, uh, you know, train uh, Terry, since we don't really get much of you know Terry training, if any. Yeah, that's something that's always bothered me is that Terry just knows how to fight, and he knows karate and stuff. And it's like, yeah, he learns a little of it from Bruce, but he knew a lot of it from even before he became Batman. So it's like, where did he learn all this stuff? But now we see he's good. He knows a little, but he's not as, but he's really not that good. So we do get some training here. That was good. That was nice. Yeah. Really? That, that was her. That was her. I'm yeah. still thrown off by that. Seriously, I'm gonna have to, after we're done recording, I'm gonna have to throw one of those episodes in. Mm-hmm. Is she in both of them? Day of the Samurai and Night of the Ninja, or whatever they were? I don't know if she was in Night of the Ninja. I just know she was in Day of the Samurai. Day of the Samurai uh, was the second one, right? Yes. With um, the fight on the volcano with uh, Kyoto-ken? Yeah, and I'm going to double-check this real quick because I'm almost positive it was Day of the Samurai, but okay. I want to be certain. Okay, while you're, you looking, talking. Yeah, while you're looking that up, one of the things I'll say is right off the bat, when I saw Xander with the, oh my god, evil emo eyeliner thing going on, I, and you know, and that, you know, he and Terry are now training in the same dojo. I instantly thought that they were trying to create a Kyodaikan for Terry. I mean, they didn't quite go that way, but I was like, oh, is that what they're doing with this whole dojo thing? And, uh, you know, the self-entitled bastard. And I, I was a little glad they didn't go that way. It was Day of the Samurai. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. Because wh- what was she? She was she the master's like granddaughter or something? She was the star pupil of Yoru Sensei. Oh, I th- okay. She wasn't related to him. Well, no, but you know, Yoru considered her like a daughter. Oh, maybe that's maybe that's why I thought so. Okay, okay. Um, wh- what else do you want to say about this one? I think we're getting way too much Cobra this close to the series end. Mm-hmm. They're just shoving it down our throats. Granted, I like the idea of Terry having to face a terrorist organization. Uh, you know, one that's supposed to be, you know, really, really dangerous. But, I mean, it's really, they just show too much of it at one time. Uh, yeah. Do you agree or disagree? No, I, I absolutely do agree. I know they didn't air in this order. You know, we're, of course, doing it in production order, so we're getting it back to back. But it is one of those things where it's like, I would have liked to have seen Cobra have been building up like maybe from the start of the second season until now, instead of mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's like Cobra, 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 Cobra. It's like, stop with the Cobra stuff. I don't care about them. Um, just really given very little reason to care about them. Yeah. It's like, Ooh, they're just evil terrorists. And, and that's really it. And this, this crew is better than that. We've said it before. They know how to build up good villains. And these ones are just paper thin terrorists it's hydra it's aim you know it's Mm. it's it's they're just nothing they're just absolutely interchangeable what else you know um i have a couple of notes here just little things dr cuvier was in that flat one of those flashbacks with xander that was nice that was nice yeah 
I, I just didn't like seeing him because it was fucking Dr. Cuvier. <laughs> it was a nice little throwback to continuity, though. So yeah. I, I, that's why and, I liked it. And you know what? I guess that kind of answers that, that question I had earlier about him about the, him receiving training in genetics. So there, there I guess I, that oh. solves that. Um, yeah. The splicing shit. But, um, yeah. The other, I think the only other note I have is Bruce yelling at Max to get off the line is priceless. Yeah. <laughs> I love I love that. Some of us have actual work to do. <laughs> okay, for anybody that hasn't seen it, Kyrie turns around, Bruce sneaks up on her as he says old habits, he doesn't mean to, and she throws this meat cleaver at him because she pre- you know, for a job she she sells fish in like Chinatown. Um and she runs the dojo in the back. So she throws this cleaver at him. It hits his cane parallel to the cane. Bruce lowers the cane off camera, picks it back up, and shows her the the blade in there, and now it's perpendicular. So when he dipped it down, it twisted ninety degrees. The knife did. <laughs> like how did like, how did that happen? Like how, how did that get by the the animators, the story, like just quality control? Like it was it was it's so terrible. Uh, what else? What else you got for this one? I can't think of an episode that degenerated this badly mm-hmm. this quickly. I mean, really, I can't. Yeah, because this, if, if it had stayed at the same level as the first part of this story, this could have been a, a solid, you know, decent story here. Yeah. But the second we find out what their master plan is, and hell, I'll just say it, the second the second episode starts, it's like yeah. someone pulled the cork out of the tub and just... It, it just went all down the drain. And, you know, I was going with it. I'm like, okay, whatever. They're making lizard men. We've seen splicing in this cartoon before. I can deal with that. But then the second Xander does it to himself and he literally rips his skin off, like something out of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 when Freddy's possessing bodies. It just was ridiculous. Be- like, okay, I, we've said this before. You know, you can... Whenever you watch something like this, especially Batman Beyond, which is not only a superhero cartoon, but a sci-fi superhero cartoon, you have to suspend your disbelief. You can only take us so far. And once you cross that line, you lose your audience. And that's exactly what happened here. They crossed the line, and they kept going. The creature had never seen anything like the Traveler's vehicle. It never occurred to him to be afraid until it was too late. He soon realized that the Traveler was a collector, a preserver of different species from all over the universe, the last of their kind. Time and again the creature tried to escape, but it wasn't strong enough. Years passed. The preserver grew overconfident. He took someone into a zoo who was too strong even for him. It was Superman. Superman had no way to return the creatures to their home planet, so he kept them here on Earth at his fortress. The creature was still a prisoner, but now he had a plan. 
He'd seen how strong Superman was, and he wanted that strength for himself. It took over Superman's mind. It's been on him for years. Years? Then why'd it wait so long to try to kill us? Because it has bigger plans. Next up is The Call. This is a two-parter. Um, in the first part, it starts off in Metropolis, where we see some tourists standing outside the Justice League Watchtower. Um, inside, uh, there's a hero named Micron, who is training uh, with some kind of robot. And when a distress call is heard uh, over the this loudspeaker saying that he needs to stop a runaway train. Well, he ends up saving the people inside it, but when he goes back to stop it from colliding with another train, it seals him inside, and you know it cra- the train ends up crashing into a building, nearly killing him. Well, next we, we go back to Gotham, where we see Batman trailing Ink, who's stolen some kind of weapon for some terrorists. We don't really know why she's alive, but whatever. Um... So she brings, or, or Batman ends up getting her vehicle downed, and while this is happening, we see a guy standing on a ledge watching all this happening. Uh, when Batman gets her on the ground, she uh, she ends up grabbing the guy who was standing on the building moments earlier and threatens to kill him. Well, lo and behold, and unfortunately for Ink, the guy turns out to be Superman. He very easily dispatches her, and he and Batman go back to the Batcave. Superman meets up with Bruce for the first time, and seemingly ages and bruce really just wants to know why he's there he doesn't even shake hands or anything and superman says that it's time for batman to join the justice league um bruce says well it's not really my decision to make it's terry's so they go to the watchtower and the rest of the league is not too happy to find that superman let him in without a vote uh they basically treat terry as scum of the earth when if you want to know the truth so Superman tells Terry in secret that he wants him to help find a traitor within the League's ranks. Uh, Micron's accident was no accident, obviously. So Bruce, uh, Bruce ends up telling Terry to look through the League files to study up on the current members. And while he's doing this, Aquagirl uh, walks in and flirts a little with, with uh, Terry and you know says, you want to go for a swim? And he says, no, nah, he's got work to do. So she goes off. Well, while she's inside the tank, it begins to malfunction and overheat, which starts to kill her. So uh, Terry, after trying to, to blow the door open with his own explosives, flies off, steals Barda's staff, and uh, blasts the tank open, narrowly saving Aqua Girl's life. Well, Barda and Warhawk, whom we know from, we will know from Justice League Unlimited, uh, they berate Terry for acting so impulsively and not calling them on the, the uh, speaker system or anything. But uh, shortly thereafter, the League receives uh, distress signals that. All of Metropolis is under attack, and indeed, you know, there's a bunch of bombs destroying buildings all over the place. There's ships being blown up in the harbor, and uh, so the League and Terry end up going out, and they, you know, they save lives. This goes on for several minutes. Well, eventually, Warhawk uh, and and Terry are, you know, they're saving some lives from another building that's collapsing, and Warhawk claims that he's getting some kind of urgent signal over the JLU frequency, which Terry says he didn't hear. Uh, so Warhawk tells Terry to stay put and stay out of the way, but you know Superman told him to stay with Warhawk, so he's, he ends up tailing him. Uh, and Warhawk manages to get this huge ballistic missile that's hurtling towards the city. Uh, he, he manages to uh, get it away by encasing his body in his armor. Well, unfortunately, the missile 
explodes just out of the blue, and all that remains of Warhawk is his helmet, which gets shot straight into the Batmobile's windshield. And the massive explosion uh, catches the Batmobile, and it causes it to crash to the ground, but Terry manages to get out uninjured. So the JLU meets Terry on the ground as Terry tries to explain that you know, Warhawk heard this uh, distress signal over the JLU frequency, but none of the other leaguers heard it. So this causes another round of arguing between Terry and the League. Uh, but Superman flies down and calms the situation. Later in the Batcave, Bruce and Terry are going over the footage from the Batmobile's camera, and Bruce uses a spectral filter to see that the missile never had a timer or anything. It was detonated remotely from a building by an energy ray. And the source was none other than Superman's heat vision. So it's determined Superman was the traitor all along. Douchebag. <laughs> yes. Uh, so Terry goes off, tries to go off to warn the League, but Bruce stops him and unlocks a long sealed vault in the Batcave encasing a shard of kryptonite. Well, he tells Terry to do whatever it takes to stop Superman. And that's where the first part ends. And when we pick it up in the second part, uh, it's back at uh, the Watchtower where Terry's showing the tape of the footage and... Barta refuses to believe this since she, you know, she just doesn't like Terry. And after they argue back and forth, Barta smacks Terry into a wall. But uh, the the Green Lantern of this era stops uh, Barta from killing him, basically. And suddenly Warhawk enters the room completely unharmed. He explains that uh, he used his armor by remote because he knew that something fishy was going on since he was the only one who heard the, the frequency. And he figured he should play it a little safer. <laughs> so... And Warhawk is now cool with uh, Terry because he blatantly disobeyed his order <laughs> to stay out of the way. He, he likes stubbornness. Um, so the JLU confronts Superman, who's now seen tampering with Micron's uh, stasis field that's trying to heal him. And a short battle ensues where Aquagirl uh, notices that there's something on Superman's chest, but Superman ends up escaping before they can figure out what it is. And they figure that, you know, he must have gone to the Fortress of Solitude. Um uh, and But none of them know where it is, but Terry says that he has uh, a friend who knows where it is. Hmm, I wonder who that might be. <laughs> um, so the League goes north, and they uh, get to the fortress, and they search the zoo uh, at the fortress where they see an empty cage where something has clearly escaped. And Superman appears, af- and after a brief fight, uh, they notice that none other than Starro has attached itself to Superman's chest and is uh, controlling his mind. Well, Terry uh, takes down Superman with the kryptonite, and Aquagirl uses her telepathy to find out all about Starro, how it wound up on Earth and everything. They go through everything. Starro's homeworld, the Preserver abducting it back from the Superman animated series, uh, Superman rescuing it, putting it in the zoo, and Starro eventually making its move by attaching itself to Superman. So uh, Aquagirl, whose her name is Marina, so I'm just going to call her Marina from now on, uh, learns that uh, Starro has been attached to Superman for years, uh, apparently. And when they speculate as to why Starro waited so long to attack, uh, Marina opens a cavern door to reveal thousands and thousands of Starro creatures in uh, a pool, ba- basically just waiting to be released into the Arctic Ocean to spread across the world to take it over. Well, they search the pool and the Starro's attack and attach themselves to all the JLU except for Terry. He, ma- he, uh, he manages to escape the fortress with uh, Superman following behind closely. And Superman ends up destroying a bit large portion of the Batmobile. But when they get onto the ground and Superman, uh, Superman slash Starro offers to have Terry join them, 
Uh, Terry activates an electrified grappling hook, which basically fries Starro off of Superman, releasing him from the mental hold. And Superman can't remember anything. Terry fills him in and everything. And they go back to the fortress where they free the Justice Leaguers, uh, except for Marina, who ends up opening the tank. So Superman just in uh, hastily starts blasting chunks of rock into the tank, trying to seal it at any cost, even at the cost of the lives of Terry and Marina. Well, Barda doesn't even want to do this because it's you know it's they're going to end up killing two leaguers, but she reluctantly helps him, and Marina ends up finally getting freed from uh, the Starro uh, thanks to Terry, and with with the help of her and uh, with Barda's boom tube projector, they send them back to. Uh, their home world, and the League now has unconditional respect for Terry because he saved the world. And um, But Terry, you know, he refuses to join the League. Uh, who is it? I think Superman or uh, Warhawks mentioned that Bruce or never got past part-time or status, and Terry says, well, maybe maybe we have something in common after all. Now, the episode ends with Superman making a remark saying that there's more in common between them that Terry knows. Well, that's not exactly what he says. He says, more than you think, son, more than you think. More than you think, right. Now, again, you know, is that the producers knowing what they were going to be doing with Terry and Bruce's relationship some years down the line? Is it I just, say yes. Is it just Superman commenting that they both have dark souls, they're both good people at heart, they'll both fight to the end and sacrifice their lives. You know, it can be read many different ways. Knowing what we do now, it looks like the producers were planting seeds. I still am unsure if they were planting seeds this early. I am fully willing to go with, uh, yeah, this was blatantly teasing something down the road. Okay. Now, before I allow you to gush about this episode, because I know you're going to, I have to kind of uh, spray you with a cold hose for a second here. Hey, I never said I was going to gush. Oh, I assumed you were going to. And I should say, before I say this, let me let me just qualify what I was just saying. I don't dislike this episode. I just assumed James was going to be like, this is wonderful, yay! Okay, where I'm, I'm not that high on this one. It's a cool episode, but there's a major plot hole in this one that bugs the shit out of me, and I literally can't get past. Mm-hmm. Superman's the traitor. Because he's possessed by Starro, but he still brings Batman in to find the traitor? Mm-hmm. How does that make any sense? The, this is the only thing I can think. Um, and honestly, I'm going to contradict myself in a minute, but... Uh, my thinking was, well, Starro wants to, you know, destroy the League, who would be the greatest threat to him, you mm-hmm. know, quote-unquote him taking over the world. But, you know, later on, when Superman downs the, the Batmobile, he, Starro offers for him to join. So, yeah, I can't, I can't really even, uh, you know, proffer an a explanation. Yeah, it, it makes no sense at all. You know, I mean... Had Warhawk been the traitor, then yeah, sure, it makes sense. But if you're the traitor, why are you bringing in an outside source to suss out the traitor? Like, if Terry or Batman or the the, the cave had some sort of technology that could have stopped Star- Starro, or that could have aided Starro, and he wanted it to use, or he wanted to destroy it, then I could understand bringing Terry slash Batman in. But because nothing like that ever happens, it seemed like a really cheap way to get the story going. 
There's a traitor in the mist. Let's have Terry use his detective work to figure out who it is. Oh, it's the guy who brought you in. And they try to address it, but then they drop it. They're, you know, Bart is all like, Superman brought you in, and now you're calling him a killer? Yes. Let's move on. Like, like they tried addressing the plot hole, putting a little Band-Aid over it, but you can still see it. Putting a Band-Aid on a wall does not hide a crack. And there's a big fucking crack in that in that wall there. That mm-hmm. said, I still think it's a good episode. Or mm-hmm. story, we should say. What do you want to say about this one to start? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, overall, I do, I do like this episode. Uh, no doubt about that. Mm. I think this episode indisputably holds the record for, to date, for the most continuity and references to other episodes and series ever. And future uh, continuity. Yeah. Because they say Batman never went beyond part-time status. Mm-hmm. So when they went to the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, they had to stick to that. Yes, they did. That's wild that, you know, were they setting that up on purpose? Were they not? Who knows? But it's a little line that they had to address down the line. They couldn't just have him oh, always you know, be a full-time leaguer. They would totally screwed things up. I got to say, you know, I love this moment, though. When Even though you know it's coming once Bruce determines that Superman is the traitor... The moment where Bruce reveals the kryptonite is fucking hardcore. That whole scene where he opens up the cabinet, or he shows you what's behind the, the display cabinet of the costumes. The computer comes up, it scans them, it says, you're Bruce Wayne. Then the little box comes out with the little robot arms, and all the green starts glowing on Terry's face. Like, as you said, you know what's coming. You know it, but you start to get the goosebumps. It's sort of like when Batman judo throws Superman in World's Finest. You know it's coming, but it still gives you goosebumps. Same thing here. Absolutely. Oh, and, and don't forget the cobwebs that were all over it. That was a nice little touch. Were there cobwebs on? On, on the doors, the big doors that first open up. Oh, I don't think I noticed that. Yeah, they were just, it was, they were all over. It was, hmm. it was a nice little animation touch. Mm-hmm. And it, and furthermore, that was a nice little homage to Legacy, uh, where, you know, Bruce says Superman has gone rogue before. Yeah. Yeah, so. you would say there's a lot of continuity in this one. What are some other things that our listeners may have missed? Hell, that I might have missed. Uh, the, well, the, I mentioned earlier the Preserver. They oh, showed, right, they yeah. actually showed clips from that episode. And they had the, in the zoo, they had the worm thing that yeah. Lobo literally ripped the skin off of. Yeah. Oh, that was awesome. Um, one thing I do have to mention, though, the voice of Aqua Girl, Jody Benson, was the same person who voiced Ariel, the Little Mermaid. Really? <laughs> yes. How odd. <laughs> <laughs> that I, I'd like to think that's a coincidence that they weren't typecasting her, but that's funny nonetheless. And this harkens back to our last WFP episode. You know, Terry just is never going to beat Ink. No, Superman did it, didn't he? <laughs> Twice Bruce has done it, and then. What's her face? Deanna did it, and now mm-hmm. Super did. Terry's yeah. never gonna beat her. <laughs> One of the things I'd like to say about this episode that I that I liked, because again, remember, I, I did like this episode despite the big plot hole, was the very twisted, off key Superman theme they used when yes. he was chasing yes. Terry in the Batmobile. Because you could hear the da 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 da, but it's 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 almost as if they would use that kind of theme for Bizarro. That's it's exactly like, what my note yeah, was. <laughs> it's slightly out of sync. It's very clearly off-key. The notes have changed a little, but it's still the Superman the Animated Series theme. It's brilliant how it's integrated into this episode. 
And it fits because Superman isn't flying, you know, with his arms stretched out. He's like a, like stiff as a board just being yeah. like carried along by Starro. It's great. Yeah, he's just this mannequin flying upright as if he's walking through the air. You know, the way he's doing it. It's 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 so bizarro, it's so very alien, and you hear it and you get a little creeped out. You're like, that's not the Superman theme. I wanna hear the real one. Eh. <laughs> and it's not evil either, it's just really off kilter. Right, you know? exactly. Yeah, and it's not like it's like the Superman theme with like the, the lower register where it's like bum bum bum, you know, it's trying to be all dark and like the omen ish. As as you said, it's off kilter. But here's something else. The last time we saw Superman, he was brainwashed. This time, we see him again, he's brainwashed. I find that kind of strange, really. Well, I don't know what to think of it. it. You know, it's an easy way to make Superman go rogue. You know, really, it's, it is it is a tired little thing. You see it a lot. You know, the most powerful hero, the first one, he's gone evil. Oh, no, someone got in his head. You see it all the time in comics and all the time in uh, comic book adaptations. It is a little suspect, though, that you said the last two times we've seen them, that's the way we've seen them. Now, I want to mention something about the Justice League. I would kill for a Justice League Unlimited beyond cartoon with this cast, with Barda, Micron, Warhawk, uh, Aquagirl, and the young Green Lantern. Especially if Warhawk was the leader of the team. And I think we might have said this before, though it might have got edited out because of some bad audio problems. I think it did get edited out. Throw Batman Beyond on there, Terry, of course, and um, the the Stalker. Remember, again, I don't remember if it made the episode, but you and I spoke about how he could have been a real cool Wolverine anti-hero-like character. Put those two guys on there, reserve members or whatever, and you got a great idea for a cartoon. Hell, give me a Warhawk spinoff. I just want to see a yeah. Warhawk cartoon. I mean, Hawk that, is a badass. <laughs> exactly. That dude is awesome. You know, and, you know, they can have his mom and dad show up because Shair is an alien. You know, who knows how long she can live. And his mm-hmm. dad, I don't know, maybe they could say somehow his life was lengthened a little by the Green Lantern ring, or he's just like a 90-year-old guy like Bruce now. Whatever. You could bring his parents in, have them hanging around in the background. But yes, a Warhawk cartoon would be killer. Or hell, a Warhawk, like, miniseries, like, you know, in a comic book would would be awesome, too. But when it comes to the Justice League, I got to say, I'm a little disappointed by the Green Lantern. And here's why. I like the idea of him, this very young kid who's very zen. Cool idea. Where it fails for me is he's still using the same old Silver Age Green Lantern tricks with hands and hammers and pliers picking things up. And it's like, when you're using a character that's so zen, and the power is very much about willpower and inner strength, they should have went above and beyond with his projections. And... With what he could do with the power. I think it would have been really neat if... Remember when Barda was going ape shit on Terry and he just put Barda in the bubble and was like, calm down? It would have been neat if he could have used his power somehow psychically to get into her head and sort of meditate her. I don't know how they would animate that, but they could have found a way. Or, again, when he was trying to save people, instead of having eight hands shoot out here and there, do something much more for lack of a better word, mystical, you know, much more Zen-like than just reaching out and saving people with giant hands. 
Yeah. Because as I gotta say, I mean, you know, if you have a Green Lantern and he's like a Buddhist or somebody who's who meditates a lot, I would have to think that would strengthen the ring's power. Yeah. Yeah, and, and again, it's gonna be projected differently because the whole thing is and I go I know this is more specifically with the comics, okay? But hear me out. If you look at Hale Jordan's projections, they are very silver agey because that's the kind of type of guy he is. You know, we get the baseball bats, the big you know, catchers, mitts, the hammers, boxing clubs. Right, exactly. You get that because that's where he's coming from as a person. When we get Guy Gardner, if you look at his ring in the comics, it's always glowing. It's always as if, uh, like sparkles are coming off of it. The reason is he is so bustling with energy and he's always looking for his fight that the ring can barely contain the power. It's always wanting to explode from there. If you look at, uh, John Stewart's, projections. The guy's an architect. So you get a lot of like the nuts and bolts that don't need to be there, but they're there because that's the way he thinks. And then when you get Kyle Rayner, he's a comic book artist. You get a lot of like dragons and superheroes. Exactly. The crazy stuff you see in comic books. So each character, what's inside of them comes out through the ring. It's not always gloves and stuff. So again, if you have this Zen character, it should be so different than anything we have ever seen before from a Green Lantern. I think there's a lot of potential there. And if they ever did do uh, Justice League Unlimited Beyond, which is a mouthful, J-L-U-B, cartoon we'll call it, I I do hope they tweak his power. Because I knew eventually they did that with um, John in the cartoon. It started out where he was doing one thing, and by the end of the cartoons, they realized they had to give him like his own unique kind of constructs. Look at Starcross when he when he breaks into their ship, he uses that huge huge fucking drill. Right, yeah. Yeah, eventually they they realized they they couldn't just give him energy beams and boxing gloves all the time. So, of course, we're not going to get a Justice League Unlimited Beyond cartoon. I'm just saying if we did, I hope they put a little more thought into that power. Anyways, enough of that. That that was a tangent and a half. Um what else about this one? Um I do have to question, I mean, now I understand the league being skeptical and, you know, angry. I do, I completely understand because they weren't allowed to, you know, have any kind of say in bringing mm-hmm. this new guy in. Mm-hmm. But the slaves on Apocalypse are treated with more respect. My God, that was way over the top. Right. It's not like Green Lantern or Warhawk brought Batman in. Super fucking man brought Warhawk in. Superman, who was out saving the universe, before these guys' parents were born, okay? Okay, maybe not in the case of Warhawk, but you still see my point, you know? He's been... Right, yeah. He's been saving the world for decades. At this point, uh, easily 50, 60 years, and he's still going strong. And Barta is all like, raw, you didn't ask us our opinion. I would have loved it if Superman would have turned around and been like, yeah, because I don't have to, because you know what? I'm Superman. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, not even said anything. Just gave her a, just look, turn around and just raised an eyebrow, like the people's eyebrow or yeah. something. And then just turned back around and continued talking like he never, yeah. like he just kind of heard something, but he, he wasn't sure what it was. You know? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know what else to say about this one. You know, it, it's, it's a much better two-parter than the Curse of Cobra. That is so for sure. Yeah, it's, I, I don't know. I'm kind of at a loss for words. What oh, do you shit. Got? I, gotta, I gotta bring up Bruce working on the old Batmobile. Yeah, what was up with that? It's just randomly working on that car. 
I liked it. Oh, no, <laughs> I'm good. not saying I didn't like it. It was just, what does he think? He's going to take that out for a joyride sometime soon? <laughs> <laughs> it's a hobby. He's an old guy. <laughs> he hangs out in a cave all day. What I mean, I don't begrudge him that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's a good point. Yeah, he does need to do something, doesn't he? Um, <laughs> but it is weird. Yeah, he's just sitting there working on the car. <laughs> it would have been neat if somehow that came into play. Like, I don't know. He drove the car to the fortress. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Across the Arctic Ocean. <laughs> he shot it through a boom tube and had it land on Superman. I don't know. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm glad you said that because I didn't make a note of it, but that was another, another, uh, reference that they'll come back to in Justice League where Bruce says, hey, I never liked those boom tubes and, in uh, Twilight, they have Bruce and Wonder Woman go through the boom tube to New Genesis, and he's all nauseous and stuff. So oh, there's another nod. Nice, a future nod again at that. Very cool. I don't have a lot else to say, but yeah, I I do. I like this episode. It's and you know it's in hindsight, it's not quite as epic as it's made out to be, but it's still definitely a really good episode or episodes. Yeah, I mean, what's great about this one is. It does exactly what Batman the Animated Series did. You know, we start with Batman the Animated Series. And out of that, we get to Superman the Animated Series. Out of that, we get World's Finest, which then leads us back to Batman. Which then leads us to Batman Beyond. Which then, you know, we go back and it sends us to Justice League and Teen Titans. (laughs) So what they're doing here is, once again, they're trying to expand out the universe. The DC Animated Universe. You know, uh, by by g- giving us these characters that could potentially lead to a spinoff. I don't know if that's what they were going for, but it's cool seeing them try to continue to expand things even at the end of this show's lifespan. Ew, a barking rat. That's Boom Boom. Stan's early warning system. What you got there, killer? I bet this is for me. Yo, Batman! I hate being right. The killer robot? Uh-uh. Too easy, man. Saw film right away. I could have trashed Wind-Up Boy, but then I figured I'd use him to teach you and the stinking feds a lesson. I've sent your toy out with a special delivery. You want to find him? You've got until midnight. As for me, I'm taking a little trip to Remville. And I ain't waking up till it's over. So why are you still wasting time watching this? Ticky talk, man. Ticky talk. <laughs> and the last episode of the Batman Beyond series that we are going to talk about, not just today, but ever, is Countdown. In this one, Mad Stan is doing his Mad Stan thing. I don't need to Mad explain Stan. that. Ooh. Yes. Yeah. I didn't know this was a Mad Stan episode going in. So when I saw it was him, I literally like wrote in my notes, Mad Stan! Exclamation point. Um, I wrote three exclamation points in mine. <laughs> so, yeah, Mad Stan's running around causing trouble. He's breaking up some science convention or something or other. It's Mad Sam. You know, it doesn't matter. He's just around throwing grenades. That's all you need to know. Um, yeah, he's anti-technology. Right. So he's doing this, and uh, uh, he's able to get away somehow. I think he, I, I think if I remember correctly, he throws a grenade that endangers some lives, and Batman has to save the lives and let Mad Stan go. So Stan's driving away, 
And uh, lo and behold, who's walking down the street, or actually getting off a train, and then later walking down the street, is Zeta and his new friend, Ro. Of course, we haven't met Ro yet in Batman Beyond, but she's already been introduced in Zeta, because at this point, Zeta's running concurrently with Batman Beyond, correct? Yes. Right, okay, we just decided not to do them concurrently, but we'll be getting to Zeta soon enough. Anyways, so they're walking down the street, and the Weather Wizard and his crew, they show up to stop Zeta. Zeta starts running away, and uh, he crosses the street, and uh, the feds start crossing the street, and uh, the weather wizard, he stops in front of, or he stops in the middle of the street, and he puts his hand up, and he's like, in front of this van, and he tells it to stop, and he's like, stop, I'm a federal agent, don't run me over, and of course, who's the driver of this van but Mad Stan? who pretty clearly has a problem with federal agents. So he sees these feds chasing down Zeta and Roe, and, uh, you know, he's kind of watching it. We don't see him watching it, but you you know he's watching it based on something that's about to happen. Well, uh, Zeta gets shot in the back with some device that messes up his holographic imaging thing. Roe is able to duck down a corner in the alley, and uh, before the feds can grab Zeta and uh, get him back to the lab to do whatever dastardly things they want to do to him. Uh, Mad Stan in his van comes barreling down the alley. Everybody jumps out of the way, including the weather wizard. And he's like, get out of the way, you stupid feds. Damn you. Rawr. He's like, you're, you're, you're treading on this guy's human rights, which is funny because he's not human. Ha. Huh? Anyways, so he picks up the knocked out Zeta, gets him into the van, Brings him back to, uh, one of his, what do they say? One, one of his 200 layers or something like that? Or did he have 200 aliases? Uh, yeah, I think 200 it was aliases. Okay, yeah. So he brings him back to one of his layers and while he's there, he sees Zeta doing his Zeta thing. You know, his, his holographic imaging thing. It's broken, so it's shifting. And when he quickly realizes that this is a robot, he thinks it's a trick by Batman and or the feds to get him, to get Mad Stan. So uh, he puts this like little tape or something into Zeta, and he straps a bomb to his back, and he sends him off. He's basically controlling the robot, and he's going to get him to blow up whatever he wants him to blow up, and we'll get into that in a second. In the meantime, Ro tries to contact Batman. Uh, she's jumped by the Jokers. Batman, of course, shows up, and uh, she tells him, she's like, look, Zeta's in town, the Weather Wizard, and the Feds are after him, so we got to... We got, we got to save Zeta. And, but she's like, I don't know where he is. He got kidnapped by some guy that has a fetish for grenades. And Terry's like, Oh God, Mad Stan. And, uh, so at this <laughs> point, they, they go to one of Mad Stan's hideouts. They find him there. The thing is though, Mad Stan is sleeping. He's not just sleeping. He's heavily sedated. It turns out he's sedated himself. How Terry knows this is Mad Stan's little dog, a chihuahua named Boom Boom, shows up, <laughs> and around his collar, he's got a CD. Terry's like, oh, I bet this is for me. And he throws it in Mad Stan's DVD player, and it's Mad Stan basically outlining his plan for whatever weird reason, giving Terry a chance to stop it. And he says, look, you know, uh, that robot guy that you thought was going to kill me, ha, 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 I'm going to use him to take down the system, man. And he, you know, reveals that Terry has to find Zeta and stop the bomb before midnight. Otherwise, something is going to go boom. So uh, Terry and Roe, they go on their way to find Zeta. Of course they do. They find him actually um, trying to blow up. Oh, it was a federal building, but it was the like a building that controlled, what, like pet licensing or something like that? 
I thought it was the Center for Disease Control. No, it had something to do with pets, because it had to do with Boom Boom. Um, okay, maybe it was disease, but I could swear it had something to do with licensing pets or something to do with maybe diseases for pets. I don't know, but it, it had something to do with the dog. Um, so anyways, he finds Zeta. He stops the bomb. Um, oddly enough, the bomb, the clock clicks over to midnight, but the bomb still doesn't explode right away. It takes like another 15 seconds. That was a little weird, but besides the point. But as they're trying to leave the building... Uh, the weather, weather wizard shows up with his federal agent crew, and they're all like, we got the building surrounded. You you can't get out of here. Um, so uh, Zeta, he's like, you know, Batman, you get out of here. Uh, you know, you don't need to deal with this shit. So we see Batman leaving, which we're like, that's really weird. Why would Batman leave his friend? Well, when the feds enter the building, they see a janitor cleaning up, and when they scan him, it's a human. It's not Zeta. Well, when the feds walk away, ooh, the janitor smiles because we now know that's Terry. And it was Zeta using this holographic imaging device thingy to make himself look like Batman to jump in the Batmobile and fly away to trick the feds. So, of course, Zeta and Roe are safe once again to go about their very Bill Bixby-ish journey. <laughs> there we go. That synopsizes this one. So, Mad Stan, woo! <laughs> yes, and you're, it was. It was, uh, St- Mad Stan's plan was about the Department of Health looking to raise the price of pet licenses. Okay, that so, was- so we were both sort of right. You, I remembered it was about pets. You remembered it was something to do with health or disease. So, we, we found a nice little middle ground there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this episode, yeah, it's fun enough. I mean, mm. it's not bad. It's not great or anything. Um, but it's not – this episode has so little depth, it, it, it's almost impossible to explain because all of my notes, they don't have any kind of deep thought to them. They're all just like, oh, did you notice this? Oh, did you notice that? I mean, really, that's all my notes are. I don't have any any kind of, wow, but, you know, by the way, did you notice this, which is connected to this and so on and so forth? No. You know, and sometimes that's good. I mean, you've used the term linear. In a negative way sometimes, where it's like, oh, the episode's so linear. In this case, yeah, the episode, the story is linear, but it's not a bad thing. No, it's not. You know, it's it's a solid story that doesn't need to be deep. You know, there's those stories that could be deeper, but they are linear. They are kind of just flat, and they are what they are, and it fails because of it. Had this one tried to be any deeper than it was, it would have failed. It's just meant to be Mad Stan, meet Zeta, Batman shows up, there's a dog with a DVD around his neck named Boom Boom. That's all we're <laughs> supposed to get here, and yep. on that level it, it, it succeeds. Is it, you know, I, I said this earlier, is it meant to be a 10-point perfect episode? No, it's not. This is just meant to be a fun, Mad Stan's blowing shit up, getting to do a rant type episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's what I said. This episode is fun. You know, it's fun enough. It's got a, gr- a lot of great laugh moments. Uh, you know, the have a nice day stickers all over his stance, <laughs> the chihuahua, um, <laughs> the the elevator music in the Batmobile. I mean, oh, yeah. When he locks Roe in there, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I got to say, I love Roe's character design. I really yeah. do. Um, it's it's really unique because and I, I don't think we you know, we go along in the DCAU, and we see all these character designs, and, you know, a lot of them seem really plain, And but, you know, Rose's character design really is unique, and it's, you know, she's got that kind of, you know, uh, blonde, short blonde hair, and 
the the baggy pants, kind of like 1990s ish baggy pants. You know, it's just, but it's you know, it's a unique character design, and I liked it. Um, uh, but but speaking of characters of uh, of designs that are kind of plain, that same guy from uh, what was it? Uh, Oh god! What was that episode with uh, Rosenbaum voicing that Joker character? I can't remember his name. Oh yeah, yeah. Where he was the smart kid, right? Hit, hidden Agenda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The same guy from Hidden Agenda and Rats and Speak No Evil. <laughs> that guy is always running afoul of every criminal in Gotham. <laughs> now Mad Stan is he is attacking him, and <laughs> running him off the road. It's like this guy just can't catch a break. It's sort of like a Veronica Vreeland party, you know. You can't have a party without someone crashing it. That guy can't go to the store to get his groceries without a without joker or spellbinder yeah. or somebody. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I do have one kind of gripe with the episode, and you know, the weather wizard and his posse. Um, you know, I thought these people were, you know, they're kind of, sort of supposed to be the good guys keeping the public, you know, safe but out of the loop. You know, mm-hmm. you know the feder, you know, the federales basically, but they. The guy fires a missile straight into a public place at Zeta, who's with a, a young girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? And then at one point, doesn't it's this episode, isn't it, where Terry says something like, "But what about the people?" And he's like, "Well, that's your job, hero." Isn't isn't, isn't that said in this one? I I must have missed that. I could I, swear I, there's a line where you might be right. You might yeah. be right. I, I could swear there's a line like that. It's like. No, dude, you're a fed. That's your job too, man. You know, your job isn't just to destroy the so-called evil robot. It, it's meant to save lives. I guess um, it have to be this episode since there aren't any more. <laughs> yeah, no, I just couldn't remember if it was said in one of the previous ones by another character, but it wouldn't have been said by Xander or Cobra or anybody on the Justice League. So it had to be in this one. You know, again, you know, like 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 I've said, you know, it's 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 a decent episode. It is what it is, you know, and it it doesn't strive to be more than that. It hits its mark, but I do think the ending was a little rushed. Um, I started to worry that this was a two parter that crossed over into Zeta, and I was like, oh god, I don't have time to watch this Zeta episode. And then it just sort of just like wraps up. There's literally about ninety seconds left when we get the whole Terry as the janitor, Zeta as Batman. And then I think there's a clip even after that where they all say goodbye to each other and the lonely man yeah. plays and that's it, you know? <laughs> and I, I was like, man, if this, if they would have given this ending about twice the amount of time that they did give it, it could have been, I, I would score it about a point higher. I got to tell you, I really would have, but I, I kind of had to bring it down for the ending. Cause it really was like, Oh shit, we're running out of time. Uh, here's the ending. Bye. Um, we've spoken about this before. I know, but when did he lose the boomerang head? Because here well, he's got Robot Head. Well, that's his new design in Zeta Project. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. When did that happen? So, I don't know. Well, I don't know if they if they talk about that in Zeta Project or not, since I haven't seen any of those episodes. Oh, yeah. But I know that I just know that's his new design in the series, and since yeah. it was running currently, you guys got to accept it, I guess. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I knew he got a new design. It was just I, I I hope they do address why he gets a whole new head. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, when Batman. Uh, uh, comes across the uh, the Joker's gang and he beats the crap out of him. One guy's about to sneak up behind me. Just says, "Beat it, Chuckles," and the guy gets scared. Of yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, was, that was nice because we don't get to see Terry scaring people very no. much. You know, no, he doesn't get to play that side of the Batman role all that often. But here he does. Yeah. 
Um, now, getting back to Zeta and Ro real quick, i got to ask you this. Having seen this episode and the previous one with Zeta, and now being introduced to pretty much the entire cast of the Zeta Project, are you excited getting into it, you know, coming up soon? Are you sort of like ho-hum about it? What are you feeling? Because, I mean, you were talking about like how you liked her design and... You know, you're, you're, you know, you're thinking this episode's okay. It's not terrible. So, what's that got you feeling for Zeta? Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, disliking anything. I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it since mm-hmm. it's a new thing. Like, and that's the thing. Most of Batman Beyond was new to me. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, we can't, we can't forget that. Yeah, uh, I hadn't true. seen many Batman Beyond episodes before this, so I didn't really know if I was excited or not to get into Batman Beyond. Mm. So, um. You know, and I'll get more of this in episode fifty when we do our retrospective episode. But um, yeah, I'm you know I'm kind of looking forward to it. Like I said, I I do I love the character design of Roe, and um, you know I know a lot of people who have seen it have said you know it's not that great, but you know I got to see it before I can have an opinion on it. Yeah, I mean I think this episode did what it was supposed to do. You know, it's that crossover episode that advertises the other show, and. It was a good advertisement, in my mind. If I had been watching Batman Beyond, you know, in first run, and I saw this episode, I'd go, oh, oh, this guy has his own cartoon, I'll check that out. You know, it wouldn't mm-hmm. have been a waste of my time to check out at least one episode. I did see, I think, one or two episodes of Zeta when it aired. I'm just saying, had I been watching Batman Beyond at the time, I would have switched over the channel, or, well, not the channel, I'm assuming they're on the same channel. I, I don't know, would have... Whatever, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. I would have given it a look, damn it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Can we get to our scores, or do you have more to say about this one? <laughs> no, let's, let's do the scores. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, that was embarrassing. Anyways, um, what do you want to give Unmasked? Uh, I am really struggling with this grade. Um, I'll give it a six, but it was a five. Okay, yeah, I'm going to give it a five. Um, the Curse of Cobra. Or Curse of the Cobra, since they couldn't get the title right in, in the openings. I forgot to mention that earlier. It's one title in the first part, and it's another title in the second part. Oh, is it really? I didn't notice that. Yeah, and even Bruce Tim mentions that on the commentary. <laughs> There's a commentary for uh, this one? It's like four minutes long. It's on the second It's on the, di- the second disc of Season 3 of the Batman Beyond. It's a four-minute uh, commentary. Said. It's yeah. Oh, the it's, season retrospective commentary. Well, no, it's actually a, on this episode. I mean, it, like I said, it's on the special features section of oh, the second disc, okay. season three. Okay. So just you know, check them out. You can watch them in less than half an hour. There's like four of them. Okay. But um, yeah. Anyway, I'm going to give this a three. Terrible, terrible. Yeah. Drop off at the Yeah, I'm giving that a four, and I, I think I'm scoring that a little high, but I'm going to stick with my four. Um, the call. I'll give the call an eight. Eight from James. I didn't write a score down from this one. Um, I'm going to give it a seven because, yeah, solid episode, but that plot hole still bugs me. And Countdown. Countdown gets a six. That is also what it gets from me. I can't believe you actually trusted Mad Stan. I mean, wasn't the name kind of a giveaway? But he seems so cheerful. You are so clueless. 
Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss the uncut version of Batman Beyond Return of the Joker. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss the uncut version of Batman Beyond Return. Let me do that again. That wasn't coming out the right way. Next time on World's... I actually want to make a joke there, but I'm not going to. I was going to make a joke <laughs> saying the uncircumcised version. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I won't do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> now, now I can't read the line. Good job. <laughs> <laughs>